You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Last weekend, we launched into a new uh, three-week teaching series, which is somewhat unique in nature. The series, The Art of Neighboring, is unique in that we are... um, Uh, working with uh, other churches in the Charlotte area for a citywide movement in which there are actually 100 churches simultaneously walking through this series together, The Art of Neighboring. And the hope, the desire, the intent is that collectively we would be able to motivate the church, the body of Christ, and an even greater way to live out Jesus' command to love our neighbor in the same way that we uh, love ourselves. So last weekend... As we, uh, as we stepped into the series, we looked at two passages of Scripture. The first was in John chapter 1, verse 14 in the message version. It says, the Word, the Word being Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that verse, for me, represents the beauty of the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but willingly gave up that position in heaven and came down to earth as a man, fully man, yet fully God. And he literally moved into the neighborhood of earth. But more importantly, he's moved into the neighborhood of our hearts as we invite him in. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 23, the angel appears to Joseph to tell him about the birth of Jesus. And he says, the virgin shall give birth to a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so uh, as, as, as Jesus moved into the neighborhood, he came to show us and to teach us how to live the God with us kind of life. Uh, so we see Jesus as our neighbor in that verse. But then we looked at a second verse. It was Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. A very familiar story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, uh, uh, Jesus was confronted by a man who was considered to be an expert, a scholar in the law, the law of God. And when he comes to Jesus, he presents him with a question. And he's doing it with an, in, uh, an evil motive, evil intent. He's trying to entrap him, thinking somehow his response would catch him, uh, mar his integrity, his character, uh, the character. And the question that he's presented with is a very common question that was uh, often debated in public among scholars and, and rabbis. And the question was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus responds this way, rather than answering the question, he says, well, you're the scholar, you're, you're the expert in the law. So what does it say? How, how do you read it? And he says, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Now go and do it. And that response from Jesus somehow seemed to rattle the expert in the law because suddenly he needed justification. In the justification, he said, well, who is my neighbor? And in that he was, he was asking, uh, what are the limits? What are the requirements? What are the boundaries? What's the least amount I can do to get by and still look good? In other words, he was asking, whom am I obligated? obligated to love. And again, rather than asking, uh, answering that question, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He says there was a man who was beaten and he was robbed, left on the roadside half dead. Uh, a priest comes by, he looks at the man and rather than helping him, he walks onto the other side, he keeps on going. A Levite comes, he sees the man, he does the same. Rather than helping him, he goes on to the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan 
a Samaritan came. He sees the man and he takes pity on him. And not only does he take pity on him, but he actually takes care of the man. And after telling that story, Jesus presents yet another question. Who of these three do you consider to be the neighbor of this man? And there was only one answer that could be given. Uh, the expert in the law said, well, the one who took pity on him. And so Jesus said, go and do the same. Go out and do the same. The, the, the expert in the law was looking for a loophole. Again, he was asking the question, whom am I obligated to love. And the challenge is that Jesus wasn't talking about obligation. He wasn't, he wasn't saying you have to go and love these people. But instead Jesus was talking about overflow. He was talking about the fact that the love of God would capture our hearts in such a way that the Holy Spirit would be able to work in our hearts in such a way that that living water that the Holy Spirit brings would get, begin to well up and in us and overflow and that the love of God would capture the people around us as it overflows from our hearts. That's what overflow is all about. And, and so that's what we understand. Loving our neighbor is not about obligation. But instead, loving our neighbor is about the overflow from our heart. And so, with that review, we move on to this weekend. And as we move on into this weekend, obviously, continuing on in our journey to understand, have a biblical understanding of uh, what it means to live this God with us kind of life, particularly as it relates to loving our neighbor. And um, I want to tell you a little bit of my process this week. I, I began working on this message uh, last Tuesday. And um, as I was working, I had, a, I had my spiral notebook and I'm, I'm making some notes. And as I'm making notes, I, I literally, I write this question out. What is it that I believe that I am to accomplish this week through this message? And I think that's an important question to ask. And I want to just bring something because I want to bring. But God, what, are, what is it that you, you want to speak? And immediately two things surfaced. Um, the first is this. Um, I believe that when we talk about something like loving our neighbor, it can be very easy to become overwhelmed. It's like I have so many things going on. And now I feel like something else is being put on the platter. I know it's in the Bible, but I don't know how to work all of this out. How do I take on the extracurricular activity of loving my neighbor? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And the first thing that I felt that was necessary was to relieve the pressure. There is a pressure that needs to be relieved. And I'm going to talk about that more later. But the second thing that um, I felt that is uh, vital, important, necessary to, to deal with today is this. And I want you to listen to this. Until you and I have truly learned how to love and care for ourselves, we are never going to be really able to effectively love and care for our neighbor. I'm going to say that again. Until you and I learn how to love and care for ourselves, care for our soul, we will never really effectively learn how to love and care for our neighbor. So let me tell you what that means. I want you to take your teaching notes out if you haven't already that are in your worship guide. Could you take those out for a moment? And please, when I say this, this is not a, this is not a cute, this is not a silly, it's not in jest. I want to validate those teaching notes. Those teaching notes deal with two very real hindrances that keep us 
from loving our neighbor. And it deals with a time barrier and the fear factor. I think everyone would say one of the issues in loving my neighbor is the time involved. Where am I going to find more time? And the other is the fear factor of the unknown that happens when we begin to reach out to, to, to love our neighbor. Uh, I want to validate that. But what I want to say is I, my, what I heard from the Lord is I was supposed to go in a bit of a different direction. So to save you some frustration, just I, I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, I, I know what it's like when you're trying to, where is he at in the notes? And, and you can't find it. And then you realize he's not even in the notes. So I just go ahead and tell you. Um, use your notes. We are covering the same story. This, uh, the story from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 41. We're going to cover that story. And we're headed in the same direction, but with, with a couple of different points. And so use your, the blank space on your notes to... Um, to, to, to catch up uh, or to take notes as you, as you hear from me, things that aren't there. So with that, um, I want to start with this whole issue of removing the pressure, removing the pressure that can come with loving your neighbor. Uh, recently, in, in one of our just past messages, uh, we recalled the fact that Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 gave us a command. And the command in short is this, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, not only did Jesus give us a command, but in giving that command, he gave us a mission. Uh, and not only did he give us a mission, but he's called us to live our lives in and through a partnership in that mission with him. In other words, he's called us to live a missional lifestyle. Uh, Lisa spoke of this this morning. She's talked about the fact that we, we live out mi mission here at Grace Covenant. Well, I'll take it even further. In our lives, there is a call that we would live out our life in, uh, out of the invitation from God to join him in the mission that he has for the world. There's a challenge that often comes with this. And the challenge is that of wrong perspectives that creep in and affect how we view that mission. Um, there can be a variety of wrong perspectives and those perspectives can oftentimes serve as an unfortunate guide that leads us to a, um, a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation uh, of what the Bible really says about living uh, a, a missional life. Um, oftentimes um, our need to be needed can lead us in a wrong direction of understanding this missional life. Because we need to be needed, our motives can be wrong in carrying out this, this, this mission. Um, oftentimes, there's a sense of guilt or a sense of false responsibility because of that guilt. And we find ourselves thinking we're supposed to do and do and do and do. Almost as if we're responsible for the results that will take place. That we're responsible for lives being changed. And we're going to address that in a minute. Um, uh, sometimes there is a, a, a perspective that we allow to creep into ourselves uh, that's a, a sense of unworthiness or that says, I really don't have anything to bring to the team. I don't really have anything to really offer that would make me a star player in this missional lifestyle. And I, I thought I want to I illustrate that point just a little bit by telling you a, a personal story, if you will allow me. Um, I grew up about an hour and 15, 20 minutes away from here in a, in a little town called Gaffney, South Carolina. You know where Gaffney is? You, you, you know about the peach, right? That's the city of the peach, the town of the peach. 
the peach that is often confused for many other things. Uh, um, interesting fact that uh, it was under that peach, and I'm, I'm really telling the truth, I actually proposed to my, my wife, Cammie. I proposed to Cammie under the peach. There's not a lot to do in a little town like Gaffney. And so there we were one night, and will you marry me? And here we are 35 years later, um, 36 years later. Uh, and so uh, I grew up in this small town, and um, one of the things that I would tell you about me uh, is that I was about as big around as I was tall, and I wasn't very tall. Uh, because of my size, when my mom uh, went to shop for my jeans or what was often called dungarees then, uh, we had to go into the husky sizes. That's the big boy sizes. And even with the husky sizes, I remember um, having to kind of walk my hands across my belly to get the pants. I, I was a big kid. I was just a really big kid. And because we were in the husky size, also it meant that my pants were longer. And so imagine this rather large kid going to school and my mom has cuffed my pants with about a five inch cuff and I'm, I'm not I'm sure there's a picture somewhere so to top it off I'm a large kid I'm wearing these five inch cuffed jeans not really feeling good about myself I wasn't popular I wasn't athletic and I couldn't run fast and because of all of those things coming together there was something that I really dreaded about school elementary school and it was recess and most kids look forward to recess, but I did not look forward to recess. In fact, I looked so unforward to recess that I remember forging a note from my mom one time, writing that Stan will not be able, it was Stanley in those days, Stanley will not be able to go out for recess because he's not feeling good, and I signed my mom's name. I know when my teacher, my second grade teacher, looked at that, she goes, I know what's going on, but she let me sit on the wall that day. I didn't have to play. Um, so, one of the reasons, maybe the primary reason I dreaded recess is I knew that most likely we were going to have the big game of kickball. And I knew that if we were going to play kickball, we were going to be put through the torture of choosing teams. I hear a few moans in the room. I'm not alone. I had one woman come up to me after church, after last church. She goes, I, I just almost cried for you when I heard your story. I said, I'm, I'm healed. I'm really over it. God is good. But um, so I was not going to be the captain of one of the teams because I wasn't popular. I didn't run fast. I wasn't athletic. So I was always in this larger group of kids waiting to be chosen. And what would happen is this large group would become smaller and smaller and smaller until then there were two. And it was typically myself and another guy Tony Ivy, who wasn't quite as large as I was. So I remember standing there just kind of embarrassed and um, I don't know, maybe some, sh some shame and thinking I'm not wanted, you know, I have nothing to offer. And then thinking, but maybe I won't be the very last one. So waiting and it's this long pause, it seems like. And the next name I hear is Tony. We choose Tony. And so I'm standing there by myself and now, after a long pause that seems like an eternity, I hear a, I'll take Stanley. And so I remember just kind of walking over to the team, feeling like, you don't want me. I really don't have anything to offer. This is just bad news. 
Again, I'm healed. I'm whole today. <laughs> I'm a new creation in Christ. Um, I tell you that story because I think that we can too often carry that perspective into the missional lifestyle. And, and what we carry in is to say, um, I have to be a star player to be in mission with God. I, I, have, to, I have to bring it all to the team. Um, maybe sometimes we recognize I'm not the star player, but I got a lot to offer and I might have to sit on the bench sometimes, but, but at least I'm wanted as opposed to having this mindset that says, I have nothing to offer. I'm not worthy. And so when we have that perspective, it affects how we live out the missional life. Because we carry that attitude and I have nothing to offer. How can I join an invitation with God in this missional lifestyle? And I want to say that is a wrong perspective. Hear me again. That is a wrong perspective. Here's the right perspective. God's plan for humanity is that he partners with people just like you and me. God's plan for humanity is that the Holy Spirit partners with us and invites us into an invitation to join with him to see the kingdom of heaven brought down to earth. And every one of us, if we have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are part of the team. And guess what? We are all star players. We all have something to offer. And to bring that down more personal, God's story for your neighborhood, your job, uh, your school, wherever you might find yourself up close and personal with people who now suddenly, because they're there, they are your neighbor. God invites you once again into partnership with him. There is an invitation for you in that place to partner with him, the Holy Spirit, to bring the kingdom of heaven down into your workplace, to bring it into your school, to bring it down wherever you find yourself. That's God's plan for us personally. But here's the challenge. Oftentimes, we can take this very personal and wonderful invitation from God to join him in mission. And we can make it very weighty. We can make it very complicated. We can allow these perspectives to come in. And somehow, it just gets all messed up. And no longer is it simple. But we've made it like a weight of bricks. And here's what I want to tell you. The pressure is off. The pressure is off. There's no need for it to be weighty. Instead, we should think of it this way. I'm going to, metaphorically speaking, I was talking about kickball. You know what loving your neighbor looks like, metaphorically speaking? It's just being willing to hang out with your neighbors in your neighborhood in a friendly cul-de-sac game of kickball. I'm speaking metaphorically. But in that, that uh, everybody is welcome. Everybody gets to play. And what's special about you is you have allowed the love of God to capture your heart. And because it's captured your heart, it's overflowing out to these people as you're connecting and you're interacting with them. It's that simple. It's just about being obedient to be there. It doesn't have to be weighty. Here's why it doesn't have to be weighty. The results are not on you. The results are not on me. 
You and I do not have the power to change another person's life. You and I can't change another person's life. We're not responsible for the results. That's God's work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there may be times where we're allowing the love of God to overflow from us and some of those people, our neighbors, are running away. They're running away from God. Maybe they're running away from us because they know that the love of God's going to splatter all over them and they just don't want to take it anymore. It's not on you. Sometimes a person's heart the soil of the heart has not been prepared to receive the seed of the gospel. And that's not on you. It's not on you. It's not on me. The Holy Spirit is still working. The flip side of that, maybe you encounter someone that you've had influence on and suddenly they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and they have a radical transformation. You don't applaud yourself. I don't applaud me. Who do we applaud? We applaud Jesus because that's who did the work. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be weighty. So it's with this that it's very easy to summarize this series by saying that the art of neighboring is an invitation to join God on his mission to love the world through simple practices and acts of kindness that are accessible to regular people just like me and you. It's really that simple. It's just a matter of us being available willing to interact with our neighbors and to let the love of God flow out from us. So, uh, we see that um, the results aren't on us, so the weight is off. Now, I want to deal with the second aspect that I talked about. And the second aspect is that until you and I learn how to truly love and care for ourselves, how to care for our soul we will never really be effective in loving other people. Um, there's a story in Luke chapter 10 that I believe affirms this. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And actually, we're going to look at the story that's just after the story of the Good Samaritan. It begins in verse 38. It's only a few short verses, 38 through 42. I'll let you get there, and I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to read a portion to you again. You know, what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent a second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians, um, and it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, <clears throat> so it was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we see in there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. They finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. 
May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to, to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and, and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who is feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So Father, we thank you again for this day. And Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Beautiful mountain with the perfect reflection in the water below. Why is the reflection perfect? I hear you say, say it aloud. The water's still. Because those waters are still, there is a perfect reflection of the mountain in the water. If those waters were stirred, if those waters became busy, if those waters became turbulent, that crystal clear picture, that crystal clear reflection would no longer be clear, but it would be blurry. You, you would not be able to see. And, and I see this as a, as a metaphor for our soul. Because when the waters of our soul are stirred and become turbulent because of distraction and hurry, we can't see clearly. We live today in a hurried up world of distraction. Think about this. We no longer have any stopping cues in, in, our, in our world today. Think about it. There was a time where uh, the newspaper would be delivered to your home on a Monday and you would open up the newspaper, you would read it, you would get the news, you would fold it up, you would stop, 
And then what did you do? You waited till the next day and the newspaper was delivered again. And what did you do? You opened it up, you read it, you got the news, you folded it up, you stopped and you waited till the next day and the next day. But today we don't have any stopping cues when it comes to the news. There is a 24 hour news feed. The news is going all along. You can get it on social media. You can get it on your phone. If you look, there's 24-hour news stations. And on the 24-hour news stations, there's not just one feed, but the person's talking, and there's a feed going across the bottom, up the side, across the top. It's overwhelming. We have no stopping cues. Or, or, or think about this. There was a time if your favorite television program came on on Thursday night, you watched it, and then what did you have to do? You waited till the next Thursday and you watched the next episode. You don't have to do that now, do you? We can binge. We can binge watch. We've got Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, all of the things that you can imagine. And so now it's possible to actually watch all 10 episodes of one season of your favorite show or how many episodes they might be by sitting down on a rainy Saturday starting early in the morning and suddenly the next thing you know, you have spent your entire day watching every single episode. You've invested 8 to 10 hours in watching it. And I can only say that because guilty. Cammie and I have done that. We watch the first show. I got to see what's going to happen next. And we get to the end. I got to see what's going to happen next. And, and then suddenly we're at the end of the day. And all we've done is watch TV and eat a lot of food. <laughs> we, we have no... We have no stopping cues. So when you take the fact that we have no stopping cues and then you add the normal activity, the normal distractions and the hurry up of life, what happens? Uh, we lose focus. It becomes blurry. We lose perspective. The waters of life are blurry. So the water of our soul has become turbulent. It affects our soul and we can no longer see clearly. So we're no longer caring for ourselves because we're not caring for our souls. And this is a matter of pace. It's all about our pace. And that was the problem with Martha. Martha's pace was out of balance. And if, we, if we're willing to assess, when we look at ourselves, we would say our pace is out of balance. And therefore, our soul has become distracted and turbulent and we're not loving ourselves. We're not caring for ourselves in the way that we should so what does Martha do about this? Her pace is out of whack. And so she goes to Jesus in front of her sister. And she says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Will you ask her to help me? And when we look to the original language, what we find is that the, the language that's using, used, the, the way it's structured, would tell us that Martha was expecting a positive response from Jesus. Something like this. Oh my gosh, Martha, I am so sorry. I can't believe that we've just spent time here uh, being focused and talking. We, we've done you wrong. Mary, get up. Go help your sister. Stop being lazy. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that at all. Instead, he offers her an exchange. He says, Martha... You are worried about, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is required. 
And we know that what that one thing was when we look at the last verse because Mary was focused and he said that's not going to be taken away from her. So what we understand is that the one thing that Martha was lacking was focus, focus on Jesus. He offered her an exchange. It was as if he were saying, Mary, I want to take your busyness. I want to take your distractions. I want to take your chaos and I want to exchange it for simplicity. I want to take all that is weighing you down, that's upsetting you. And I want to give you still waters. It's interesting, Psalm 23, when we think of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me by, he leads me where? That's the exchange. That when we focus on Jesus... When we still ourselves, when we quiet ourselves, when we make this a priority, he exchanges our busyness, our chaos, all of these things, the turbulence that's in our soul for still waters. We can't deny that. That's what he does. But it's up to us. What happened between Martha and Jesus is what we actually call prayer today. She talked about her pace to Jesus. Listen, um, she had a conversation with him, a very honest conversation. Don't you care? And he responded with the exchange. And today, you and I have to be willing to recognize the turbulence of our soul and that we would go to Jesus honestly and maybe we go in the same way Martha does. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you see what's going on? But he's always going to say the same thing. He's always going to give you exchange. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one is needed. Stop and focus on me and let the water of your soul be still. He wants us to see clearly. He wants us to have perspective in life. He doesn't want life to be a blur. He wants us to be a perfect reflection of who he is. But when we're busy, when we're distracted, we can't do it. So what in the world does this have to do with the art of neighboring? Well, distractions and busyness keep us from loving ourselves. Remember last week we talked about the fact that loving ourselves is denying ourselves of those passions, those desires, all of those things that uh, keep us from living the God with us kind of life. We're, we're to deny ourselves those things so that we can live the God with us kind of life. Uh, when we do this, that's when we experience the still waters. We live with the distractions and we don't have to. Jesus will always offer us an exchange. Here's the solution though. Here's how that comes about. The solution is this. You have to be willing to truly assess your life. You have to be willing to be honest. And you can go to Jesus and be very honest. You can complain, but he's always going to give you an exchange. He's probably going to give you different than what you expected. And exchange, and he's going to say, You're worried about many things, and there's one that's needed. We have to be willing to assess our lives and go to him 
and have a conversation in prayer about our pace. Pace and prayer. We have a conversation about our pace. We, we offer it to him in prayer. And then we, we allow him to still us and lead us to the still waters. And that's where we find life. And that's where we find clarity. And that's where we find perspective. So my challenge for you, beginning when you, hopefully it's happening now, but after you leave the service and throughout the week, that you would have an assessment of your life. And would you hear Jesus saying, listen, you're worried and upset about many things when only one is needed. And then would you receive the exchange? Would you let him lead you this week by still waters so you can gain clarity? Because that's what he wants. And when you do, when you learn to love and care for yourself, then the overflow of God's spirit in you is going to splash all over your neighbor's. In simple obedience. You'll care for them because you know how to care for yourself. That's really, it's that simple. Would you stand? I pray for you. God, I think, I believe that probably the largest majority of us in this room would say busyness, distraction, lack of clarity, loss of perspective, life is passing by so fast. There are so many things. We would confess that our, our soul has become turbulent. And, and we're not caring for ourselves like we should. And so we're not really doing well at loving our neighbor. And so today, I ask that we would have a new revelation of the still water that you bring us to. And I ask that we could settle in your presence and focus on you. And hear your voice. Receive the exchange. And become the perfect reflection of who you are. I pray that this would happen, Lord Jesus, for all of us. We offer ourselves to you. And today I pray a blessing over this people. I pray that as they go, they would know how much you love them. I pray that they have protection and provision in every way. Revelation, knowledge of anything that they need from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.